Hello, this is Dan Farisi, and welcome to AV Plus, the podcast for the commercial AV integration industry. I'm so happy to be joined for this podcast by Dan Gundry of Vistacom. We're going to be talking about issues related to the Great Resignation and also the challenges the commercial AV industry has had for many years with recruitment and retention and ensuring that people want to be part of commercial AV as a career path from their earliest uh, career exploration days. So enjoy this conversation and hopefully it will give you some tips for how to make sure your integration company seeds the next generation of fantastic talent. As always, please like and subscribe to our YouTube page and please subscribe to the AV Plus podcast on Apple and on Spotify. So happy to be joined today by Dan Gundry, Managing Director, Control Room Solutions with Vistacom. Thanks so much for taking time to be on the pod, Dan. Thanks for the invitation, Dan. It's great to be here. So a lot of people are talking about the employment situation in commercial AV right now. And most of the time we hear it from the employee perspective or the candidate perspective. But I'd also like to explore a little bit about these changes from the employer or the potential employer perspective. Um, Obviously, there are a lot of factors at play right now that are somewhat unique. Uh, not only in our industry, but also in the macro economy, thinking about, you know, COVID and the Great Recession and all that. Before we zoom in on those factors, can you give some of the big picture view of our industry struggle with recruiting? How long has recruitment been a problem in the commercial AV industry? And why has it been such a problem? It's a really good question. I think for those of us that have been around the industry for a while, and I've been in it 19 short years, um, we would probably say it's been there as long as we've been there. Um, it, it's a very niche industry. It's a very small segment of, you know, the the uh, the overall marketplace. Whether we're a subset of facilities or IT or some other type of uh, um, niche type area, we are a small part. So I think part of it is is really hard to uh, find those people that that gravitate here naturally. Um, we've seen a lot of people that have been musicians in the past that have gravitated in because of that inclination. But when you start talking about video aspect of things, you don't find people that are naturally inclined to kind of gravitate into our industry. I think if you marry some of that with the, the lack of trade schools that are really paying any kind of recognition to what we do and training people up for that, some of the, you know, some of the trade schools are nowadays, but, uh, but, but any kind of mainstream effort in terms of uh, higher education uh, is, is, is also contributing to that. Third, I think, you know, most companies these days are in, in our in our circle are focused on themselves uh, and what they what they need to do to just kind of keep going on, especially those smaller to mid-sized type organizations that are, you know, kind of have those blinders on and are just kind of focused on what they do on a day-to-day basis. You know, it's hard. They're looking for industry organizations like Avixa, like NSCA and others to really get that word and that message out. And I think it's been a little uneven. There's been some really good stuff out there, Ignite has been, I think, a really good effort in that direction. Um, And I think we can continue to do a little bit more in that field. But I think if you 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 basically go back to take in, there's not a natural inclination. People growing up with computers, right? If if I'm a high school student, I gravitate towards computers and coding and things like that. I'm thinking IT disciplines, not necessarily AV as a subset of that, even though IT is so critical to what we do these days. 
if you know you're um, if you're in audio and, and and music and what have you, and you're looking for something, maybe you're going to gravitate into portions of what we do, right? Live events, uh, rental and staging, and then we see a lot of those kind of start coming into the installation side of the house. Yeah, but you don't see a lot of natural inclination out there for people on the video side. There's you know there's no high school clubs for residential or home theater really. Um, so I think those are really where you start getting into. If you look at that lack of foundation and then kind of gravitate through, then the schools are not necessarily doing their job to promote what we do. And I'm putting some blame on them, I guess. I don't know if that's right or wrong, but nonetheless, they're not necessarily focused on us. And then we as, an, as a business, I think can be doing a much better job because we're so focused on our day to day, it's not what we're doing. And then the other piece of it then is, is the industry associations. Those are really the four things I think we haven't been doing a great job of and that we can always be doing a better job of. Absolutely. And I agree with you. It's, it's certainly a multifaceted problem. Uh, you know, I, I came into this industry from a journalism background and I eventually learned AV. But if I was super interested in AV and I was looking for like whether it's an AV integrator or career track or something like that, I don't even know what curriculum necessarily I, I would go to. Would it be engineering curriculum? Is there something discrete to AV? And then, of course, as you say, a lot of integrators and businesses, consultants are looking project to project. They're trying to make sure their business business stays afloat and remains profitable. They don't necessarily have the time, the resources, or the inclination to try to seed the next generation. I agree with you. A lot of it has been outsourced to the associations. And I mean, NSCA and Avix, I think are doing a very good job, but I do believe it needs to be more of a collective collaborative effort. I think uh, these challenges are so systemic and so lifelong for as long as I've been in the industry as well. Um, it, it just seems like more attention needs to be paid. Yeah, and right now we're looking into the IT, the IT trades. You know, that's realistically where we're farming out because we see the we see that being the biggest pool of talent out there. Um, that, you know, you're, you're not going to find video techs, or you're going to be stealing somebody else's video tech. Um, and if you're doing that, you're buying bad habits potentially. Uh, you're, you're you don't know what you're getting. Um, plus, you're probably overpaying. Right now, we're seeing a war out there between techs and stuff like that. People just overpaying for techs right now. So, no, it's it's a problem. I think it's been a problem. It's been a problem long before pandemic. Pandemic has hyper focused some of the aspects of that, mm -hmm. um, as I just mentioned. Um, you know, but it is it's. It's not something I see solved in the near future either. I haven't seen a, a magic wand that anybody has out there, um, but I do think that each of those four different areas are areas where we can attack and, and, and improve. Absolutely. Um, so let's talk about some of those more specific factors to right now in the pandemic and whatnot. Um, the unemployment rate has gone down quite a bit. It's quite low at the moment. Labor force participation, meanwhile, is, is recovering, but it is not fully recovered to pre-pandemic levels. So we're still finding ourselves in a situation where there are a whole bunch more job openings than people actively looking as part of the labor force to fill those positions. If you are an integrator or an AV business trying to hire someone how do you square that circle how do you make people want to work for you yeah the, the easy answer is it starts at culture and we just had very recent conversations around this uh in in, in terms of our, our twitter community um but, but culture is real it, it it does start there if you take care of your employees the best way that you're going to get other employees is through that mouth-to-mouth -mouth referrals right finding other people because they all talk to each other um so we focus on that I think that's an easy area that integrators can improve on. Does not take any kind of capital for an owner or a business leader to get up from their desk and walk down the hallway and say thank you and good morning and hello. 
Um, so I think those are some of the easy steps in the culture, uh, you know, um, paradigm. <clears throat> I think uh, recognition of existing employees and wrapping your arms around your existing employees, whatever that means to you as a business and to your employees, what's important to them, I think is a critical first step in that. Right. Um, because other, other individuals will see that. They'll walk in and they'll know whether there's a toxic work environment or there's tension because you'll feel it when you walk into those environments. Either people will be focused on their screens and, and it'll be really quiet um, or you'll just kind of sense or maybe even hear the hostility that's in the air depending on where you are. <clears throat> so I think some of those things are the easy building blocks. Um, take care of your own house, put that in order. Uh, and then I think people will start to see it. But then when you start to say, okay, great, I've done that or I do a pretty good job of that. How do I find other people? That's hard. Um, <clears throat> you know, we've, we've tried going the route of get them green uh, and train them up. Mm -hmm. And there's an aspect to that that works. You can't do that in mass. Um, and you, you can't be spending all that time to do those things. So then you start looking at different places. Do I go and we talked about the concept right now of, of, of going out there and attacking and we're stealing a, a competitor's uh, you know, best people. And we're seeing that in the marketplace. Uh, is that a sustainable effort that you can do behind that cherry picking of one or two key people to fill some holes? I think this is the, the sustainability of that is going to be hard because mm -hmm. we can't keep I'm going to use the term, and it may be a little controversial from an employee perspective, but we can't keep overpaying for people uh, as employers, right? We want to, we obviously need to pay what the market will bear in order to bring those people on board, but it's not sustainable because, you know, we, we need to, we need to increase costs if we need to do that. And that brings a whole other element of the cycle into it. So I don't think there's one easy, one easy answer. I do think that in the way you recruit, the language that you use, the perks that you put around it and the more perks you can put around it that don't have hard costs attached to them. And that dials us back into culture. Um, I think it becomes really critical. Um, I'll, I'll give you one quick, quick example that we did. And I don't know if it's rocket science or if it's just a norm that's out there, but we have technicians that are traveling basically every day of a five day work week. And maybe they get a couple of days of downtime in the course of a month. That's just the workload that they have right now. We bought them all American, uh, uh, American admirals club, memberships so that their time in airports, you know, are at least a little bit easier. You know, it's a $500 a year perk. That's an expense. You can write that off, right? It's not a long-term thing that you're paying to somebody that you got to increase year after year through COLA or raises or whatever. So it's not a raise, but it's a nice little perk. And guess what? It goes a long way. Thank you. Now, when I'm in an airport for a couple of hours, I don't have to sit out there with, you know, the, the masses and hear the craziness of what's going on. I can have a little bit of comfort, a little bit of peace of mind. So little things do go a long way. Absolutely. And I think you made an interesting point about uh, potentially, you know, quote unquote, overpaying for people. The fact that wages are, are definitely going up, as is cost of living. I think cost, a simple cost of living adjustment for the past year with so much inflation was probably around six percent or six and a half percent, something like that. Um, and given the difficulty sometimes of the integration business model type margins on projects, not a whole lot of margin on hardware and stuff like that. It can be difficult, I would imagine, organization wide to sustain a six or six and a half percent COLA on a regular basis at the same time that people are expecting top dollar to be brought on. Yeah, especially when we've had years before that of hitting one and a half, two points of COLA, whereas now it's for last year it was 5.9. So you're pretty much right on there, Dan. Uh, and, and we're struggling with that. I know other people are struggling with that too, because really there's not a whole lot of room in there for annual merit increases when your cost of living adjustment is 6%. Yeah. Um, so that does 
bring in another facet to all of this. Eventually, something's going to give. Uh, what, what gives? Is it the employee basically saying, I'm worth more, so I'm going to start looking somewhere else? Is it that we need to absorb extra costs and therefore lower the bottom line that we already know integrators don't have much of a bottom line? It is razor thin as it is right now. Or do we need to pass those costs along to clients? And with all the other costs that we're passing along to clients right now in the way of supply chain and, and, and product increases, is this another cost that they can bear? So those are, those, are, those are what keeps business owners up at night, I guarantee you. Absolutely. Um, so let's talk a little bit, and, and you had mentioned at the outset of that previous answer about company culture and things of that nature. I certainly agree with you that these days candidates are considering a lot of factors uh, when they're looking at what company to affiliate themselves with. People seem extremely concerned about corporate culture, about having an inclusive environment, about having companies that seem committed to mental health, wellness. Are there particular strategies that you'd recommend if integrators are looking to enact a wellness-focused work environment? As you said, you can walk in sometimes and get a sense if an integrator does not have an environment like that. You can sense the tension or the toxicity. But if you're an integrator, a business owner, and you want to have a wellness-focused work environment, where would you even start? I think there's a couple of things that you can do. First and foremost is, again, look at your existing work environment that you have. Um, is it easy for employees to do the work that they need to do um, and be comfortable in doing so and, and exercise a good quality of life? Maybe that's the work from home scenario, right? Or that flexibility to, to work and, you know, from wherever you need to do your work. Maybe it's unlimited PTO, right? We're seeing that being a thing out there these days. Um, is it other things that you can do inside the office environment with those small perks and those other things in order to make things easier on your employees? The second part of that is training of your managers, right? Your leaders and stuff like that. How, how, you know, how are they in terms of being receptive to an employee coming in and, just looking distraught or depressed or under the gun and stressed, right? And how good are they? Do they have the training that they need in order to be able to listen um, and then, you know, absorb and respond? Um, do they have, do they, do you have their back when it comes to decisions that they need to make on the spot in order to take care of that employee who's right there in front of them and doesn't have the time to go through an HR spin in order to get something maybe resolved for them? So I think those are two things that you can do. The third thing I would encourage any business owner to do is engage your, your, your health insurance provider, right? Um, you know, Blue Cross Blue Shield or Anthem, whomever that might be, engage them because they have programs that you can buy into, that you can get in part of, that sometimes have no cost because they offset other costs uh, that can help with that wellness. Maybe it's, it's, it's an additional mental health type of campaign um, or physical wellness type of um contests that, uh, that that some of them may run and stuff like that. We did a steps uh, exercise uh, activity a little while ago, and we've done a couple of other ones as well along the ways. Maybe it's those health club passes. So so wellness is physical and, and mental and, you know, uh, emotional as well. So I think those are three things that you can do uh, that I've seen to be successful. But I think it, again, starts back with ownership. It starts back with leadership. You know, how receptive is the environment to that? Uh, and what are the changes that you're making that allows your employees that time to breathe, uh, that time to decompress? Work from home is fraught with lack of decompression. And if the employees are the ones that are dictating their own schedule in order to figure out how to work with that, you're going to get some very different outcomes. You're going to get employees that are going to probably be like me, which is in my office at six o'clock in the morning till six o'clock at night rarely leaving and then maybe coming back in for a couple of hours later, which is not good. 
or you're going to get those that are, you know, going to not do what they need to do, or you're going to get some other kind of hybrid type mix. Um, maybe the working environment at home is not the right conditions, right? Because they're working at their kitchen or they're working at their basement. They don't have necessarily the right kind of landscape to do that work. And there's all kinds of different things that go into that. I think owners and their management team can be doing in order to address that. That's where it starts. I think intuitively, most of us would probably assume that a prospective employee would want to work in the most innovative possible environment, companies that are really treading new ground, breaking barriers. Is that what you see that people most, and at least in aggregate, want to work in the most innovative possible environment? I would agree with you, Dan. I I would definitely think, especially in a technology field like ours, that is indeed something that people are thirsty for, hungry for. They want to contribute uh, they they want to be as part of an innovative company and they want to put their stamp on that. But counterintuitively, I was reading an MIT report this past weekend that was talking about one of the top five reasons over the last 18 months why people are leaving companies is because of high levels of innovation. So again, counterintuitive to maybe what we thought, which is, or at least what I thought, which is they're leaving because it's too much stress. It's too much change. It's too much innovation, high levels of innovation, not just innovation in and of itself. Um, so I thought that was very interesting because we as, an, as, a, as a marketplace, we as a community talk about, you know, change. We talk about being innovative. We talk about being disruptive. Um, whereas one of the top five reasons given through all that data that MIT was able to sparse as part of that report, what for people leaving their companies was high levels of innovation because of the stress because of that mental health capacity in order to basically ebb and flow as they needed to. But once the pandemic goes away, once the the last vestiges of this very strange few years have finally dissipated, do you think we're going to return to a more normal situation where it's the employer in the driver's seat again and the employee who's trying to kind of prove themselves to the employer? Or do you feel like this power dynamic shift where it's almost as though the potential employee is interviewing the employer and finding out if it's a good fit for them. Do you think that that's going to be an enduring thing, even when this this kind of weirdness of the pandemic finally goes away? Yeah, I think that's a really, really good question, Dan, because that's really what should be on the foremost of, of, uh, of business leaders' minds when they start looking at their three and five-year type forecasts. Um, I, I've been kind of settling on the phrase, the great reset. Um, I just recently saw somebody calling it the great renegotiation. And when I think when you look at it through those lenses versus just simply great resignation, great resignation kind of is this final fatal kind of moment in time, whereas reset really kind of, I think, gives you that that shifting of balance, mm-hmm. right? And I think that, to answer your question, is what's going to happen. I think we've learned lessons here as employees and hopefully then soon in kind as employers uh, in order to figure out a more happy balance to those things. Um, no, it's not going away. Uh, I think maybe the economic conditions that uh, affect it or amplify it one way or another, um, I think those may change. Those may settle down. And so we're not going to see the dramatic swings that we see and stuff like that. But I think the core uh, message here of employees asking themselves what they want, um, looking at things through a different lens, I think those are here to stay. I think employees now sensing their own worth may or may not be the right way to say that, but I think they're really going to be looking at what they want out of a business in a different light. 
uh, whether that's you know work environment, whether that's uh, the leadership they work for, whether that's the business mission, whether that's you know pay scale um, and compensation, I think they're going to continue to look at it through that lens, um, and I, I think it's here to stay. So obviously there are a lot of cross currents, positive and negative going on in the industry right now. We do have associations doing some great work to try to recruit and retain talent, but there are still those systemic issues where, for example, uh, employee employees are being very choosy or prospective employees are being very choosy about whom they want to work for the power is really in their hands and we still don't have a whole lot of built out curriculum and kind of a path to draw people into the industry do you feel optimistic about the long-term future of our industry over the next three five ten years or are you kind of cautious and thinking this is going to be a long-term challenge to continue to re uh, retain recruit and build up uh, talent in our industry yeah, I think so. Uh, um, first of all, our, our industry does continue to grow. Um, we continue to be more and more vital to the culture or the, or the world that's out there in front of us um, from all the different aspects of AV. So I don't think our portion of the world is, is, is getting any smaller or even maintaining. So as we grow, just naturally, we're going to need more people. And if we don't have those problems solved today, and we're not even on the right track in order to kind of solve those problems, it's going to continue to exacerbate. Do I think we can get better? Yes. Am I hopeful that we will do what we need to do to support the industry, our clients, and take care of our employees? Yes, I'm an optimistic person, I think, for the most part. But no, I think these problems are here. I think they're real. Uh, I think they're systemic to a certain extent, and I don't see them going away, but I do think that there's things that we as individual employers, as well as a bigger association, a bigger AV community can do to improve those. Well, thank you so much, Dan, for being on the AV Plus podcast. I really appreciate your insights on these incredibly important issues. Obviously, business issues uh, are, are about the long-term sustainability and strength of our industry. It's not just about projects. It's not just about the next application. It's about having a strong, robust business that is uh, future positioned and future minded and able to attract the best talent and, and recruit and, and retain the best talent. So thank you for taking time to, uh, to talk about those issues. I think they're, they're undercovered and I think we want to try to amplify this, this topic as much as possible. My absolute pleasure, Dan. Thank you for inviting me on. So happy to have been joined once again by Dan Gundry, who is Managing Director, Control Room Solutions with Vistacom. And check back next week with the AV Plus podcast for more great content. Thank you.